The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hello there. Welcome once again to our program here on The Shepherd. Happy to have with me today David Swanson from the church in downtown Orlando, First Presbyterian Church. He's been on before many times. Dave, fact is, you were on back in the early days when we were here in a temporary setting, man. I will always remember that. I I consider myself kind of one of the one of the original guests. <laughs> That's exactly what you are. Uh, and we're so grateful for you. Not only did you um up here on our program as well, but you were such a help in helping me get connected to a mm. lot of other ministries in the area as I was moving back after being away for 17 years. Right. And so uh, you had been here. I'm not sure exactly when you came to First Pres, but I know. Yeah, I've been here since 2004, so I'm finishing up my 18th year. And uh, yeah, along the way, I've I've been able to make a lot of relationships, and that was a privilege to help get you introduced in the community. Oh my goodness, you did it. I moved away from here in 02. Mm-hmm. So uh, we just that, kind of missed know, each we, other. We were two ships passing, mm-hmm. but I do know our mutual friend, Bob Shetler worked yes. with you and he is such a dear man. He is. And Bob and I met recently to work on some stuff. He's now with uh, CCO, which is a national uh, college ministry, and he's doing great things in the state of Florida. He really is. And he has this organization for leadership, Florida Leadership's yes. Uh, uh, it's just a wonderful thing that Bob is doing. He is connected and he, I believe has his finger on the pulse as well as Mm -hmm. to what's going on in in the world today. And, you know, one of the people groups that it, it, there are two that I want to talk about with you in this segment. Sure. Number one would be the young people Mm -hmm. because that's who I really feel bad for, especially those that are in college. So many of our colleges are giving us uh, what is nothing less than a, um, my goodness, an, an indoctrination mm-hmm. into these worldviews that are, are very concerning. But uh, there's also the, just the kind of anti-church uh, viewpoint that the colleges are teaching too. Mm-hmm. And so they're affected. And then the second group is the this thing of what's going on in the media and they're they're presenting everything especially when it comes to matters at issue with the church. I think right now, abortion, which Mm -hmm. life, that's such an incredible issue that's Mm -hmm. blown up. And it just looks to me like the government is overreaching uh, in their response to this. Oh, I I think so. And I think we've seen that coming for a long time. But I think the church has a responsibility as the culture changes that we have to be adaptable uh, as well in terms of how we Uh, adjust our strategies. We don't change our doctrine. We don't change our theology, but we do change uh, our strategies for how we're reaching young people and how we are speaking into their lives. And I will tell you, I mean, there's so many directions we could go with this, but I think part of the answer for this uh, goes back to the household and the family and the way that we raise our kids and the way that we uh, disciple them and, uh, and bring them into the faith and the way we're educating them. And Again, you know, what what they're getting just in their public school settings. I have two grandchildren that are three and two, and my son and his wife uh, are already thinking about where are we going to send our kids to school? What are they going to get in the neighborhood school? And uh, 
And then, you know, we, we did a, we did a series. I, I just think we have to, we have to think our faith, not just feel it. We can't just be heart people. We have to be head people, especially in this culture. And, you know, great example. Um, you know, there was, uh, an article that I wrote in the Orlando Sentinel on, uh, the Roe v. Wade decision being overturned. And I gave just a, a theological description of why the church, uh, biblical churches are pro-life. And then there was a letter to the editor that was sent in that just kind of took me apart for the things that I said, but it was classic cultural response in that he he did not defend his position at all. He simply gave me the uh, arrogant, uh, dismissive wave of the hand as if I was stupid for believing what I did. Yeah, and that's just the common, isn't mm-hmm. it? And it, it's just that the, the cultural way is they speak down to you and they're like, well, you just must not be very smart if you believe in such a thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, defend your position. Why do you believe there isn't a God? Mm-hmm. Can you, you know, in a court of law, how do you answer what has happened historically? And so, I mean, for example, this Sunday, I'm talking, you know, I'm talking about the fact that Christianity is a provable, defensible, historical faith that is rooted in human history. And you go back and you look at these things and yet the culture dismisses all of that. Right, they do. Yeah. And we've become the enemy to them because of the fact that things they're standing for, things they're pushing for, are just contra to everything Mm -hmm. that's in the Word of God. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they're willing to just let us be in our space and they take their space. They're trying to kill our space. Well, it makes it does make sense because the the idea of of secular hope, what uh, uh, secular culture has been pointing us to for a long time since the Enlightenment, is this idea of progress, that everything is ascending and getting better because we've improved knowledge, science, reason, that we don't need any uh, God anymore because we can solve our yeah, own problems. Yeah. But the problem with that is that it makes it makes two assumptions. One, the first assumption is it is depending on the, the nature of, uh, of human beings as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're assuming the Jean-Jacques Rousseau philosophy that a man is innately pure and good, and it's only social forces that shape, you know, anybody that does wrong, they've been shaped by their environment to yeah, do that wrong. Yeah. And so they just got bad teaching exactly, or bad experiences. Exactly. They lived in the wrong neighborhood and had bad parents. And so they, uh, they got messed up, but there's too much evidence of that to the contrary. And, you know, the person who threw a big wrench into that idea was Hitler. Uh, when all of a sudden after world war II, we realized, you know, there's just innate evil in people that the evil is not out there. It's actually in our hearts and that the, the faith actually does matter. Uh, the goodness of man is critically important. So, Rousseau's philosophy began to to wane, and and Marx said some of the same things that uh, that it's the evil and and poor behavior, bad behavior is socially uh, conditioned. So, in in the Christian church, we've said, well, we've actually known that all along. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're not going to uh, let me back up a little bit. So Marxism and even philosophies of Rousseau is all based on and. And secularism, or, or the idea that things are, are making progress, that's all based on the fact that we will use our progress for good. Yeah. And what we've seen is people are going to use it for their own ends. People are going to use it for bad ends. Yeah. So that's where the secular progressivism, Western progressivism doesn't work. And then secondly is where does Western progressivism lead to? And the answer to that is ultimately to nothing. C.S. Lewis has a great quote about how, you know, no matter what you believe to be true about science, reason, and knowledge, eventually when when our lives end, it's just blackness. It's nothing. And when the sun goes out, 
all we will have been is a flicker in the uh, uh, in the annals of time, and uh, and it really leads nowhere. So, what's the better story? You look at what Christian hope offers, and it's it's an eternal hope. It's a reasonable hope. It's a defendable hope, and it's a historical hope. And you look at all those things, and that's where I think as a church we have a responsibility to be teaching those things. And so we, in our church, we did a series uh, called uh, a counterculture which we looked at, what, what are all the main questions of the day? Where do I find my hope? Where do I find my purpose? Where do I find my meaning? What do I do? How do, you know, how do I deal with social media? How would I deal with all the changes in human sexuality, marriage, family, all those things? Well, you, those are big questions. And the secular world saying, well, here's our answer. You know, where do you find your hope? You find your hope in yourself and, and being self-actualized and self-aware. And there's a God small G that lives within you. And mm-hmm. you have to feed the self. The self is the highest and best end. It's the ideology of individualism. And so, you know, you, you, you go down that road and, and that ultimately leads nowhere. And then, so what I was saying was, okay, let's compare the secular answer. And now what does the Christian church say? Uh, so what's a, what's a counter to the culture? Secular world answers your question with this. The, the scriptures say this. And so, uh, you know, I'm, this Sunday I'm comparing what's the difference between secular hope and Easter hope, Christian hope. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I think we we have a responsibility to be teaching against the culture. If the culture is constantly saying this, what's the church's answer to that? Mm-hmm. And and that's where I think, you know, you brought up young people, people in their 20s, millennials, Gen Zers. That's where I feel like the church has sometimes done a disservice is we feel like that teaching sound doctrine and teaching biblical truths is not jazzy enough and attractive enough to keep a 20-year-old in the pew or attending the church when actually I think that's what they want. Um, I think they want to be challenged. I think they want to understand why uh, Christianity is a defensible faith. Why is there veracity in the mm-hmm. resurrection of Jesus Christ? And and I sometimes I think we're too fluffy in what we teach, and we're trying to be too attractive and hip, and we forget about the core doctrines by which we can then answer the cultural questions of our day. I've heard a lot of people bring that point up. It's almost like the church lost its way. Leaders of the church, we know the Lord who's Mm -hmm. leading. He's not lost his way. Mm -mm. But those of us that are under shepherds, we kind of like capitulated, if you will, to the pressure and maybe even to this thing of Hollywood Mm. that looks like you mentioned hip, trying to be cool and trying to do what is right. And in the process trying to make it more attractive, we did it artificially so. Mm. And you can't replace something that is good and true with something that is fluff, like you said, mm-hmm. and and maybe just for show, and it it, it won't stand up. Yeah. It, it won't be sustainable. We feel like if, if I make it too hard or if I make it too complicated, then they're going to run the other way. And we, we initiated a program in our church about five years ago called the the Orlando Fellows Program. And we take, uh, we take 12 new college graduates – and they spend a gap year with us, and we get them an internship in their field of study. So wherever they're going to go work in wow. life, they work for 20, 20 hours a week in that study, and they're paid, and they receive a stipend. And then they spend 20 hours a week with us, and we do a deep dive with them on faith and work theology. When they're out in the world and they're going to be confronted with all these questions and ideas, how do you answer those things? And we, wow. you know, I, I spent three weeks alone just teaching on marriage, family, sexuality, and gender. You know, when you're around the water cooler and someone says, well, you know, this person came to me and said they think they're a man now and not a woman. You know, what what do you say to that? How do, how do you answer that? And so um, that in order to answer that question, you got to build a foundation that gets you mm-hmm. uh, uh, to a place where that you can help them begin to understand 
what the scripture says about those kinds of dynamics. The other thing we don't do well is we don't challenge secular positions and explain to people where they naturally lead. So, you know, this idea, and you've heard this before, Mike, uh, you know, people talk about love wins. I, if I hear that one more time, I'm going to, I'm going to be sick. Um, you know, love wins. And there's this idea that God is just so loving that what we do really doesn't matter. And, wow, and wow. everybody just come on in and I go, okay, I like that in that it sounds nice and it, it'd be easy. Um, God could just sort of open up his arms and say, sure, everybody come on in. But, but then if you think about it, there are some questions that pop up. Do, do I really want that? And, and in my, in my own mind and heart, does everybody get in? Like, am I going to open up the circle so that, that people who are violent sex offenders and, and uh, child molesters, am, am I going to say, oh, sure, that doesn't matter. Yeah, come just, on in. Just come on in. Yeah. The murderers, you know, uh, all those kinds of things. Am I going to say, come on in to them? And the answer is no. So there actually are things that we think are right. And in our heart of hearts, there are things that we believe to be true or wrong. And we want the wrong to be answered. We actually want justice. And for there to be justice, then you can't just say everybody comes in. Yeah. If, the, if that's true, if everybody comes in, where does that lead? Well, there, then where it leads is then good and evil, good and bad no longer matter. And if good and bad don't matter, then nothing matters. Mm-hmm. And everything that I wanted to be true about a moral society, uh, about good in the world, all, all that collapses in on itself. And we don't think those things through. We don't. We don't think it through. And the good is not going to be good if it's not Bible good, if it's not God good, because that is the only good. And, you know, we've, we're have we living in a culture where everyone tells us what is really the case. I, I, a point around that one would be this whole transgender thing. And we are now being asked to believe, being told to believe, really, that this is normal, this is right, and I feel sad for these kids that are really genuinely confused, but there's uh, great reasons in my mind why they are confused. We've helped confuse them. The culture has done this. I, I agree, and, and I, I think it, it's, and the things that I've been reading lately, I think have been very telling in that when you when you reach that point of life where you're uh, you're in puberty, you're beginning to be defined in your own sexuality, and then you're living in the midst of a culture that is constantly telling you that being in the majority is bad. The majority are the oppressors. Uh, and and so you can't, you know, my goodness, to be uh, to be white and uh, uh, in this community is it, 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 in the world's almost seen as a bad thing. And so um, it's no more bad to be white than it is to be black or Hispanic or anything else. Um, we are one in the kingdom of God, but what what these students are finding is, I need to figure out a way to be be cool and in the minority. So when you think about it today, what what is celebrated amongst young people? It's when they come out. It's when they sit when they make yeah. a declaration. Yeah. I'm I'm this or I'm that or I'm I'm you know it's all fluid. I'm I'm not quite as much of a woman as I thought. I think I'm actually a little bit of a man. And and you know the whole di- idea that I'm non-binary is a word you hear a lot. And then when that happens, oh, they're teachers, they're, everybody celebrates, and you get all kinds of social media likes. And what are teens yearning for more than anything else? Belonging. I want to mm-hmm. be part of a group. So now, instead of just being part of the crowd, they adopt this kind of minority view that is so cool and hip. They become part of this new crowd, and everyone's affirming them and patting them on the back. 
and it looks good. So that's leading more kids to say, okay, well, I'll try that. I'll mm-hmm. sample that. And it just becomes, uh, it's so sad when you then encounter someone in their early 20s who is transitioning back to who they were originally created to be. And sometimes that is now happening after the fact that they've, in addition to making declarations that no longer match where they want to be, they've taken medicine or they've had surgeries. Mm -hmm. And it's going to end up with people who are broken and scarred. Mm. And, you know, one of the offsetting things, and maybe we can address this more in the next segment. We've got just a minute left here. One of the offsetting things uh, that could be happening and should be happening is the truth being shared in the home. And we've seen, along with all these other things, a a kind of almost a departure from what would have been the American kind of way of of training, you know, teaching that our main responsibility is parents for their kids. Right. They are the primary disciplers. And I think that too often they've abdicated that to the church and they'd come and drop their kids off and they want the church to, uh, to disciple their children. And the church is absolutely there to do that, but we're the second line of defense. We, you know, our, our philosophy is we need to equip the parents to do the primary job in right. the home. Yeah, and, that's uh, exactly right. Yeah. And so that is something we'll pick that up in a moment when we get back. David Swanson is with me from First Presbyterian And that is in Orlando, downtown Orlando. We'll be back with him in just a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, Call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. If you are nearing 65 years of age and need to compare Medicare supplement plans, here is great news. You can speak to a licensed professional independent insurance agent at Affordable One Insurance in Orlando. You'll find them to be so trustworthy and helpful. And at Affordable One, there is no cost or obligation for your call. Comparing plans can be confusing. Get the help you need at Affordable One. Call 407-965-4166. That's 407-965-4166. If you've considered the natural beauty of a wood floor, then go with a winner. Ability Wood Flooring has been a trusted source and family-owned and operated since 1950. Ability Wood Flooring is voted best of the best and are featured on A&E's Zombie House Flipping. Ability proudly works with Florida's top builders, winning many awards in the Parade of Homes. Get a free design consultation today. AbilityWoodFlooring.com In the studio with me today is David Swanson. He is the pastor at First Presbyterian Orlando. David has been a friend now for a couple of years and really appreciate this man. I I, uh, remember the first time I had you on for the Easter program and just how enjoyable that Mm -hmm. was to talk through the Good Friday events leading up to Sunday on Easter Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. Resurrection Sunday, not a greater, more exciting day in the Christian's calendar. In that one. Amen. Amen. And we, you know, it's funny you bring that up. We've been in a, a post Easter series called Rediscovering Hope, uh, why Easter matters in your everyday. So we're, you know, eight weeks past Easter and the church's tendency is we do a big Easter celebration and everybody wears their, their 
colorful dresses and their bright clothes. And then we put it back in the drawer for 364 days. You know, Easter hope should impact yeah. our lives every day. It's the message of the church. Yeah. yeah. And we're, really we're talking is. about serious issues and all those things, but we live in the midst of those issues with this uh, fervent hope in, uh, yeah. in the movement of God among us, uh, both today in his kingdom as it is now come, and then when it will fully come. Right. David, we were talking in segment one at the end of that segment about parents and the role of parents. We've touched on the media, but parents have, I believe, for a long time now, kind of taken their hands off of the reins of leading their kids through media and the amount of media that they've mm-hmm. uh, are exposed to on a daily basis. In my generation, it was television and movies and magazines were still an impact back in that day too. Right. But nowadays, obviously it's screen time. People are walking around in their phones in their hand and that phone is more than just a phone. It's a computer. It is a gateway. It is a window into this culture and this term social media began to be mm-hmm. widely used. And I remember thinking social media, that's an interesting term. What is that? Well, now we all know what it's all about mm-hmm. and our kids are immersed in that. So what, how do you direct in your congregation? How do you direct parents to kind of remember that they're kind of uh, in, in charge of the kids mm-hmm. consumption of social media? Yeah. We, we work with our parents. Again, our, our children's ministry, our student ministry leaders do a great job. Again, just trying to remind them that this is something they need to be attentive to. And I, uh, I was talking to one mom last week, uh, and she said something I thought was really good. Her daughter is 13, and they had just turned 13, and they had made a decision as a family that our kids will not get uh, smartphones until they turn 13. So she was the last person, uh, a girl in her class, um, to get a smartphone. And, and the mom said, you know, when I handed it to her, I had this sinking feeling that I was handing her like a piece of crack, you know, oh, just yeah. something that they're just going to become so consumed by. Yeah. But if you think about it, it's not uh, it's not altogether different than the parameters that our parents set for us around anything, which was how much time uh, per day are you going to be on that? What what happens to those devices during mealtime? Uh, what happens to those devices at bedtime? Um, there's an Andy Crouch book, and I'm, I'm I, you know I hesitate to even bring it up because I can't remember the name of the title, but if you Google Andy Crouch and his book on on kind of family systems. Uh, he offers some really good resources to parents on how to manage all those things. But what what I think has happened is that the the life of the American family has become so busy and there is no white space. And the parents are under this extraordinary pressure to help their children perform and excel and succeed according to some mysterious standard that we don't know exactly who's setting it but they're all chasing this thing and they become so busy in it that, and most of the time, you know, many times that both parents are working. And so this idea of really being actively engaged in the lives of our children Mm -hmm. on a daily basis has become diminished. And, you know, parents get to the end of the day and they're just, they're so tired and they feel like, you know, if, if I've just kept it together through the day and I got my kids fed and sheltered and to and from school, then it was a success. And wouldn't you believe that they're not intending to be malicious in their departure um, from this? Not at all. Not at all. They just don't have the bandwidth. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the things that we've, we've tried to, uh, to challenge our parents with is to think about, you know, what, what, are the, 
rules and the parameters around how your family household works is the tail wagging the dog. And, you know, when, when my wife and I had kids in our house, we always said, you know, you can do, you can do one thing per season, meaning, and we kind of divided it into uh, fall, spring, and summer. Mm-hmm. So the kind of the two semesters of school and then whatever happened in the summer. And we said, you can do, you can do one thing in each of those seasons. Do you want to play baseball? Great, play baseball. But we're not going to play baseball and take karate and try to take piano uh, all in the same season because then the schedule begins to, uh, to wag the dog. And we want to try to create well-rounded children. And so there's social pressure to specialize. And that means, you know, all the travel teams and all the thing, you know, and then now the travel teams are gone on the weekends. And so worship is diminished and families are not together in worship. Mm-hmm. And then that gets into the whole diminishing attendance and worship across the country. It's just not church, church attendance, church community is not nearly as important as it once was. It's one thing among many. And I think that's the other thing that has negatively impacted families is there's so much more competition on Sunday morning uh, that used to be protected. And if you wanted to do something on Sunday morning, your, your option was church. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's, you know, it was kind of funny. I, you know, I remember when my uh, children received an invitation to a birthday party on Sunday morning, Sunday morning at 11. And I thought, really, <laughs> right. you're, you're sending wow. my kid an invitation to a birthday party on Sunday at 11. You don't think I'm going to have a problem with that. So that's, anyway, that's funny. Lots of challenges for families. And I, and I, I and I, this is not uh, me piling on. I think our, our moms and dads have tremendous uh, pressures on them today. And, and the church needs to do everything that it can to uh, equip them. And with all of that pressure, uh, still they're responsible. We are all mm-hmm. as parents responsible mm-hmm. to do the job that God's called us to do. Mm-hmm. And so the bottom line is that, yeah, we, we get it. There are big things and, and job, but uh, we can, we have to, we must maintain our priorities. We must realize that our kids, uh, I, you know, there's a picture I remember as a dad. Um, and I think we've probably all seen movies about this where a a parent turns around and sees their little toddler holding a butcher knife. And you think, Oh my word. I, and you want to be very careful how you get that. You don't want to just jump because the kid could hurt itself and reflex kind of almost like uh, an accidental type of a puncture then, but it's a horrible thing. And yet parents are doing that very thing with these smartphones and uh, too early with with no kind mm-hmm. of limitations put on, on them. We've got to get, get it. We've got to do it or our kids mm-hmm. are not going to be, they're not going to be with us. No. And, and the, the other challenge is that children are now because of that being exposed to uh, information at far younger ages. Yeah. So they're getting exposed to all these ideas about their own sexuality earlier. So, you know, you, you may, and, and I, I find that sometimes that the whole, you know, you used to talk about, oh, when is your dad going to give you the birds and the bees talk? You know, there, that was the traditional thing that the mom would speak to the girls, the dad would speak to the boys about th- this is how you're to understand your sexuality is kind of you enter into that season of life. Well, I find so many parents are just that they're scared about having that conversation because and part of it is they're just they don't feel equipped. So I feel like moms and dads need to, need to get help to equip themselves to talk about. Yeah. How do I have that conversation with my child so that my child is hearing from their most trusted person in their life, their mom or their dad, is the one who is introducing to them the concept of human sexuality from a biblical perspective so that when they start to hear it through 
various social media means and their smartphone, then they can say, wait, that's different than what my mom or my dad told me. And they've already opened up the door to communication. So they've said, hey, son, if, if you ever have a question, you, you come ask me about it. And so now they can go, wait, well, dad, I, I heard this word on social media. What does that mean? And how does that square with the things that you told me? It's just that 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 conversation, that initial conversation is so important because it opens up all the doors for future communication in laying the foundation of how they are to understand, how these children are to understand that critical dimension of their sexuality. And that's where I, I don't think we're investing enough time and attention. Now, for the parents that are hearing this, David, and they have capitulated, they have relegated, and they've dropped the ball, mm-hmm. and now they realize they have and they see it. What are the first steps those parents can take to get this problem resolved? Yeah, I think they they start to have regular, you know, in, in, as they look at their family life. Where, when are we having regular family gatherings? Is it Sunday dinner? Is it Wednesday dinner? You know, in our in our family, Sunday night dinner was sacrosanct. You had to have a really good excuse not to be at Sunday dinner. And uh, and then we tried to have family meals together at least two or three other nights a week. Mm-hmm. So that what you're doing in that is you're creating the environment in which meaningful conversations can happen. If you expect a conversation to happen with your kid that's going to be meaningful on human sexuality as you're driving to school, then your head's buried in the sand. It's not going to happen there. You have to create an environment that is pressure-free, stress-free, extended. Um, you know, and and we also believe that you need to get your kids one-on-one. You know, you need to take your boy to a ball game. You need to take your your daughter out to dinner where they just have that time with you and you're creating the environment in which these conversations would happen. Then you need to get your hands on some solid resources that are going to help you understand what is a biblical uh, understanding of human sexuality and gender. And there are wonderful resources that are available. And you can go to your 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 church's student ministry department or children's ministry department. They'll be able to send you in the right direction. And, and I think you start doing some reading and study on your own. And then, so you're equipped for those conversations. And then you just ask open-ended questions. You ask, you know, what, what are you hearing about these things? What are the students saying in your class? And let your children begin to communicate with you what they're hearing uh, and, and what's happening. And then you can join the conversation. And they know that there is, they have no fear mm-hmm. about coming to you with a question in, this, in the sexuality arena and I think that just fosters good communication as time goes on. So good communication, having those kind of really held near and dear times like meals, I think that's one of the most important mm-hmm. times. The evening meal, as many as you can hit in mm-hmm. a week, I agree with you because I look back and some of my fondest memories of uh, discussions with my children happened around that meal. You bet. And that's something. So if a dad is not paying attention to the need for that, uh, and that can happen so easily because job work calls oh. and uh, you, you're hanging late at the office, you mm-hmm. miss the meal. One uh, one time you think it's not bad, but it starts happening three mm-hmm. out of five mm-hmm. during the week, then you're missing out on that. Mm-hmm. And that and that's very much tied to just the busyness of the American family. It's, yeah. They're just overscheduled. And yeah. so having having times to create those environments is much more challenging. I want to circle back to something that you said, because I, sure. I believe a challenge is in line with parents and this thing called travel ball. Mm. Because I, more than just about any other single thing, other than the pressure from social media, one of the biggest hindrances to a young person's spiritual walk is getting involved in something that's going to take them every weekend 
And I know parents who are taking their kids to volleyball tournaments almost every weekend during the season mm-hmm. in a different city. So they're not only busy playing volleyball, but they're traveling and there's massive expense. And it all seems to be kind of written off in the mind of the parent as the, my child may get a scholarship and have their scholar, their college uh, paid for by scholarship. Mm-hmm. So it's worth it. Yeah. There's this, there's this very, um, uh, prevalent underwriting fear that my child will fall behind, that my child will not be able to sort of uh, quote unquote compete in the marketplace of athletics or a scholarship or whatever else, all with this idea towards how can I get into a good college? Can I get money mm-hmm. for that? All those things. And, and it just is such a, uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. You just get on a wheel and so, you know, like anything else, I think parents need to realize they actually have far more power than they realize they do, and that their child can be on a team and be on a travel team according to certain parameters. And so, again, when our kids were playing sports, we said, you can travel uh, two weekends a month, but for sure, you're going to be in church half the time. And if you do go on a travel, you go away for a weekend, then, you know, we're going to be sure that on Sunday morning we're in church somewhere. So before the game starts, if that means we've got to find a 730 service somewhere or we're going to find, you know, we got a nine o'clock game, we're going to find an 1130 service somewhere or maybe a Sunday night service somewhere. But we're going to be in church on Sunday uh, if we're traveling somewhere. And then we're not going to spend every week traveling because that makes that baseball team or whatever it is, that, that makes that the dominant influence yeah. in my child's life not the family. And so we, we told the coaches, we'd love to play on this team, but just know our, our kid is only in two weekends a month. Right. And the coaches were like, okay. I mean, and I, they, they were like, we've never, never heard that before, but that's mm-hmm. fine. You know? And then some would say, no, sorry, you got to be all in. And we like, well, great. We'll find another team. Yeah. And, and it's, and that's I, leadership. Yeah. David. You just, you just yeah. can't, you can't, uh, you can't, uh, you know, give away and abdicate all of your authority and the power that you hold in the lives of your children. Yeah, you, you I, I like it. I mentioned the word relegated earlier, and that really isn't uh, the concern. Abdication mm. is the uh, real problem. And parents, I pray, I, I'm uh, I'm grateful for the, the programs that our kids have and the fun that they can have. Absolutely. But we've got to remember this thing, and we're going to be hitting on this in our last segment today. This thing of discipleship starts at the home. Yeah, the the mom and dad needs to be the primary early disciplers of their kids. And there is a kind of a line that crosses somewhere between control over your children and correction uh, and friendship. Friendship mm. grows, and over time, as the child grows, that's great. But parents go toward the friendship, in my mind, mm. way too soon in this mm-hmm. day and age. Well, and re- and remember, you know, one of the most important elements of discipleship is church attendance. And, you know, everyone kind of, you know, bemoans the fact that uh, everybody leaves the church in their 20s and maybe they wind back their way around to the church when they get married and have kids. But the number one predictor of whether a child leaves the church in their 20s is whether or not their f- parents were committed to church when they were growing up. Uh, if that's you, good. If you saw your parents go yeah. to church, then you will you will not depart from that. Ninety percent of the time, when someone leaves the church, they didn't see dad, and yeah. that's very important. Dads, this is this is critical. If if your kids don't see you committed to worship, why would they be com- committed to worship when they become a young adult? They're not yeah. going to be. So yeah. you have to set the model in that, and that's a huge part of discipleship. It really is. A good friend of mine once said, 
whatever is optional to a parent, whatever lacks passion in a parent will become optional to the kid. So if the parent has no passion for it, the kid will look at that as like, well, maybe, maybe not. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is. My guest today, David Swanson from First Presbyterian. We'll be back with him for one more segment. This is Afternoons with Mike. If you need help with your bookkeeping but can't afford to hire a full-time employee, The Good Books Company is your answer. The Good Books Company is a total bookkeeping solution, working with most industries and offering a free, no-obligation discovery session. The Good Books Company can help you clean up and catch up on all your bookkeeping needs. Visit them at goodbooks.com. That's goodbooks.com. Or call 321-356-0774. That's 321-356-0774. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando, offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Are you looking for the right franchise to open your own business? Green Flag Franchise has the experience and knowledge to help match your business plan with your goals and values. Is your business ready to become a franchise? Green Flag Franchise will help you explore the potential and benefits of franchising your existing company. For a free consultation and coaching, visit GreenFlagFranchise.com. That's GreenFlagFranchise.com. With my friend David Swanson today, I love this guy. He is one of the most wise guys, and I mean that in a positive way. <laughs> yeah, you're a wise guy. <laughs> Not that kind of yeah. wise guy. Yeah. A man full of wisdom and a man whose, I believe, his outlook is something that we can all grow from. And that's why I love having him up here to discuss not only theological things, but the practical things that every mom and dad, every young person that is alive today, they're going to deal with them one way or the other. And one of those most important things that we talked about a while ago, David, is this thing about parents being disciplers and being involved and and helping their kid navigate. You know, one of the most powerful visual uh, images that I ever saw was at a Promise Keepers event when uh, a person, they were demonstrating the role of the parent in their teen. And they had a young teenage boy with blindfolds on. And they had set up on the stage in this big arena, uh, all these just dangerous obstacles, like a bear trap and Mm. all of this. And they were talking about letting your kids go through the teen years without your helping and guiding them is like sending that kid blindfolded mm-hmm. into all of these traps. Yeah. And before the kid hit the area, they they stopped and the parent said, here, let me lead you. Let me mm-hmm. help you. Mm-hmm. And the dad led the kid through. That's the kind of involvement that parents need to have. Mm, so true. So true. And it, it, it is one of the things that you have to, uh, you get swept up in it. It's it's kind of like a vortex and you're in it before you actually know you're in it. And sometimes you have to stop and, you know, the Jim Collins book, Good to Great, he says you have to ruthlessly confront your current reality. And I think that is something that is always in the forefront of my mind, it, you know, for, for families today, ruthlessly confront your current reality. Wow, what good. are your practices? What's working? 
what's not working. If you feel like you're just in a time where it's just so crazy and you're barely hanging on, well, you're not going to get different results until you change <laughs> the system that you've created. That's right. So your your system is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. And one Baptist preacher I heard said, if you keep on doing what you've been doing, you're going to have a whole lot more of what you've already got. There you go. Yeah. Amen. That, that'll, that'll preach. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. It's true. But I think a lot of people are kind of falling into that definition of insanity mm-hmm. and somehow expecting, even though they're doing the same thing, they're hopeful, mm-hmm. expecting a different outcome. It's just not going to happen. We've got to make those changes, albeit sometimes small, but there are effective changes. Well, and you know, and you you use the word hope, and that's kind of a a big, big theme of ours right now. What I see too often is parents kind of throw up their hands and they look at the culture and they go, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I mean, my kid's just going to have to figure it out and get through it. And, Mm -hmm. and it's just, it's just a dark, hard time. And, but you know, and they just very discouraging. And I'm like, man, this is a time, this is a hopeful time, because if you look back at human history, you look back just the history of our country, you know, it, about every 60 years, we go through a really dark time. So 60 years ago, we were in the middle of the 1960s, and yeah. you think of everything that was happening then. Well, the civil well, rights, Woodstock, yeah, all yeah. of that. So yeah. what, what happens in the middle of cultural upheaval? God brings renewal. At the same, in the late 60s, what, what happened out of that? The Jesus movement. A movement, 20 yeah. to 30 million people came to Christ in one of the, arguably one of the great crises periods in our nation's history. And yet out of it, what did God do? He brought people to himself. So I look at this time today and I think that there is opportunity for God to really move through our churches with a spirit of renewal because there is such a time of crisis. People are looking for answers. How do I navigate this very challenging time. Well, guess what? The church has the answers. Mm-hmm. We're the, we are the holders of the hope. And so we have to do a better job of communicating that and not operating out of fear or, or just kind of giving up and throwing up our hands. We need to go, wow, what a great opportunity for us, man. As a parent, I'm like, okay, I've got tools for this. I've got the word of God. I have the spirit of God that lives in me and let me work now to be about um, the task of sharing this with my child. So I don't know if you ever hopeful. do this. I mean, this is so good, brother. I can imagine on a Sunday morning sometime, you just having like, ask David. <laughs> and your answers are so awesome. And I, I'm not trying to, you know, puff you up here no. and trying to, trying to be that way or uh, flattering or whatever. But man, that's just good wisdom right there. Mm. We need it. We've got to stop this uh, mentality that we have right now. Now, one of the things that you have done at your church, and you touched on this in segment one, it's this gap year uh, discipleship program with young people. Mm -hmm. And you said you have a certain number of openings that you do. Mm -hmm. It's obviously intense discipleship because... They're actually getting real world, real time experience and getting paid for it Mm -hmm. uh, for part of their time. Mm -hmm. But then they're going through nothing less than discipleship. Yeah, it's it's seminary level. uh, It's a seminary level class. In fact, they can get credit for it at Reform Seminary out in Oviedo. And so it's it's not, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of reading and there's really wonderful discussion. But what what's happened is, you know, we house them with one of our church families. Um, they're 20 hours at their job, 20 hours with, at the church, they're getting discipled, they're serving in our student ministry. And then they're out in the community in a variety of ways, um, trying to be salt and light in the community. And when we've, we've been, again, this is year six for us. And what we've seen is, is the vast majority of them, they, they see the church in a whole new light. They see 
the importance of a of a church community coming together uh, in such an impactful way, and they they stay, and they they move to Orlando. They sometimes those internships lead to jobs, but they find employment. They join the church, and then they become part of our twenties ministry. And now our twenties ministry is just thriving because these people then bring their friends, and it's it's just exploded as they are finding um, solid answers. Uh, to the cultural questions of our day. And see, that begins, it seems like, so simply with saying, we need to pour ourselves into uh, these young people. Mm. And that is merely a way that you've done it. Right. And we've we've said, this is where, if you've spent four years, many times in secular education, let, let's at least spend a year getting some really good theological training under your belt and understanding what, what is the, the strategy. And it, so much of it is grounded in service. And my church gets tired of me saying this, but when you think about how does the church, as she becomes increasingly out of step with the culture in which she finds herself, how do we maintain a winsome and attractive witness to the culture in which we live? The answer is we serve without expectation or condition. We want to create questions of intrigue in the lives of others so that simply by the way I love others and care for others and serve them at their point of need, they will look at me and go, wow, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. what, What is different about you than all these other people that I I come in contact with, it makes them want to ask, the, the, what is that? That's a question of intrigue that then can lead to when the chips are down and when their life is hurting, they go, there's something different about that person. I'm going to ask them, man, I'm struggling. What, what, what is different about you? And that leads to opportunities for sharing their faith. But what is it grounded in? It's just grounded in good, just, right, serving ministry where I'm not trying to proselytize, proselytize you. I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm just trying to love and serve you in the way of Jesus. Yeah. And, uh, and that makes so much difference. It really does. And this is so much hope for a young person who's wondering and kind of like, what am I going to do with my life? I think almost every young guy at one point or another is asking that question. Mm. They want to know. No question. I, I, yeah. I want to do what's important. I do believe that so many people have that heart. But in this day and age, they're not going to find answers from their college that they've gone to. If it's a... Uh, a university like uh, one of the state universities yeah. or whatever, they're not going to get people who are friendly to this idea of being discipled for Jesus. That's not going to happen. Mm-mm. So it's going to take pastors like you, David. It's going to take pastors and churches saying, how can our church pull these young people in, disciple them, give them opportunities and real world decisions? Mm-hmm. And I think it's brilliant. How can they find out uh, information about your curriculum and your setup. Yeah, if you go to fpco.org, it's our website. Um, it'll, there's a link there to the or- Orlando Heart of the City Fellows is what it's called. And uh, you can get on that link or you can call the church office. Brett Allen is our minister of family life, and he's the one who uh, leads and runs that whole uh, that whole ministry. So you call the church and ask for Brett and um, uh, and he'll get you all the information you need. Now, you mentioned all the books and all the reading that these guys do. What's your favorite author? Wow. I don't know that I could, I don't know that I could limit it to one, but I would say... Okay, you who know, are some of your I, favorites? Yeah, some of my favorites. I, I love uh, J.I. Packer. All right, yeah. Uh, I just J.I. Packer, Knowing God. If you haven't read that book, I, that's in my top five that every Christian ought to, ought to read. Um, C.S. Lewis, you know, is such a um, for a variety of reasons, you know, his book on on grief, a grief observed, is just one of the best books on grief I've ever read. And then he's got Mere Christianity, mm-hmm. which is a defense of yeah. faith. I love that. And then in terms of modern uh, authors, 
Um, uh, Tim Keller has written two books: the 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 meaning, uh, the reason for God, and the meaning of God. Mm-hmm. And you know, he's someone who who planted and grew churches in Manhattan in one of the most intellectually skeptical environments that you can imagine. And so, if you wanna if you wanna dive uh, intellectually into a defense of the faith and and some of that, he is uh, he is just so wise. And uh, and so uh, intellectually brilliant in mm-hmm. that he really um, is. Those are uh, those are great great books to to read. I was able to listen to him at a JD Greer mm-hmm. uh, conference, and boy, was it ever great! And he is that good. And uh, you know, obviously, people are praying for him. He's got some yes. health issues yes, he that are pretty serious. Uh, but boy, what a leader he is! And I know uh, at RTS because you are mm-hmm. very involved. Uh, in that campus still. Yes. We've had some great names come into this uh, city at RTS in the times like Jerry Bridges. Oh, yeah. What a great Jerry author. Bridges, Sinclair Ferguson has been out yeah. there. Um, Carl Truman uh, was a professor at RTS. Uh, he, his book on, he has a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. If you want to understand how we got to where we are today, he goes back and looks at the last 300 years of philosophy sociology, um, uh, theology, and kind of maps how we arrived where we did and where the little subtle changes happened along mm-hmm, the way. Mm-hmm. That is, it's very good to give you kind of a foundation for living in this uh, age. So he was an RTS guy. So lots of good things happening there. Yeah. And they still continue to happen. I've been, I was privileged to have on my program, oh, about a year and a half ago or so now, Luter Whitlock was up Oh, here. Luter's fantastic. Oh, and, my goodness. Uh, he, he was awesome. And my wife, Lee, is the an executive vice president there and runs their campus operation administratively. But she also has started a, women, uh, a ministry called Teaching Women to Teach. And it's all about equipping women in the church to be good teachers and how are they teaching uh, their women's ministries and their small groups? You know, so many times, and, and I'm not knocking, you know, the Beth Moores of the world who do the videotape curriculum, but it's I, I think there's such a stronger bond and such a stronger sense of community when someone in the church is teaching the lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's just about relationships and uh, and building that strong together. So uh, anyway, teaching women to teach is a, a great uh, opportunity if you're a female and want to grow in your teaching skills. Wow, that's great. And what is the website for, for that? rts.edu. And uh, click on the Orlando campus, and you'll find a link to Teaching Women to Teach. Well, that sounds exciting. Give us your website for the church uh, one more time. fpco.org. And there's all kinds of information about uh, our ministry, all the recent uh, messages and things like that. So, yeah, a host of things there. Hey, uh, last question. Are we over uh, the COVID thing now? I don't think so. I think COVID is just going to be with us for the long term, and I think it will be more endemic than pandemic, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think we'll just learn to live with it, and I think we need to be wise and take care of ourselves, but I, I don't think it's the kind of thing that ought to uh, stop our uh, our culture, stop our, our churches, anything like that. I, I Then there may be more serious waves, but I think it is becoming more a regular part of our community. Endemic like the flu. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what I believe as well. Yep. David Swanson, thank you for your visit. Man, it's great to have you here. Can't wait till you come back. Loved it. I'll be here anytime. All right. Thanks, Mike. And friends, thank you. We'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. <laughs>